two things can possibly be more distinct from each other. For greatness consists in bringing all manner of mischief on mankind, and goodness in removing it from them. It seems, therefore, very unlikely that the same person should possess them both, and yet nothing is more usual with writers, who find many instances of greatness in their favourite hero, than to make him a compliment of goodness into the bargain, and this without considering that by such means they destroy the great perfection called uniformity of character. In the histories of Alexander and Caesar, we are frequently, and indeed impertinently, reminded of their benevolence and generosity, of their clemency and kindness. When the former had with fire and sword overrun a vast empire, had destroyed the lives of an immense number of innocent wretches, had scattered ruin and desolation like a whirlwind, we are told, as an example of his clemency, that he did not cut the throat of an old woman and ravish her daughters, but was content with only undoing them. And when the might Caesar, with wonderful greatness of mind, had destroyed the liberties of his country, and with all the means of fraud and force had placed himself at the head of his equals, had corrupted and enslaved the greatest people whom the sun ever saw, we are reminded, as an evidence of his generosity, of his largesses to his followers and tools, by whose means he had accomplished his purpose, and by whose assistance he was to establish it. Now who doth not see that such sneaking qualities as these are rather to be bewailed as imperfections than admired as ornaments in these great men? rather obscuring their glory and holding them back in their race to greatness, indeed unworthy the end for which they seem to have come into the world, these of perpetrating vast and mighty mischief. We hope our reader will have reason justly to acquit us of any such confounding ideas in the following pages, in which, as we are to record the actions of a great man, so we have nowhere mentioned any spark of goodness which had discovered itself either faintly in him or more glaringly in any other person, but as a meanness and imperfection, disqualifying them for undertakings which lead to honour and esteem among men. As our hero had as little as perhaps is to be found of that meanness, indeed only enough to make him partaker of the imperfection of humanity, instead of the perfection of diabolism, we have ventured to call him the great. Nor do we doubt, but our reader, when he hath perused his story, will concur with us in allowing him that title. Chapter 2 Giving an account of as many of our hero's ancestors as can be gathered out of the rubbish of antiquity, which hath been carefully sifted for that purpose. It is the custom of all biographers, at their entrance into their work, to step a little backwards, as far indeed generally as they are able, and to trace up their hero, as the ancients did the river Nile, till an incapacity of proceeding higher puts an end to their search. What first gave rise to this method is somewhat difficult to determine. Sometimes I have thought that the hero's ancestors have been introduced as foils to himself. Again, I have imagined it might be to obviate a suspicion that such extraordinary personages were not produced in the ordinary course of nature, and may have proceeded from the author's fear that if we were not told who their fathers were, they might be in danger, 
like Prince Pettyman, of being supposed to have had none. Lastly, and perhaps more truly, I have conjectured that the design of the biographer hath been no more than to show his great learning and knowledge of antiquity, a design to which the world hath probably owed many notable discoveries, and indeed most of the labours of our antiquarians. But whatever original this custom had, it is now too well established to be disputed. I shall therefore conform to it in the strictest manner. Mr. Jonathan Wilde, W-I-L-D, or Wilde, W-Y-L-D, then, for he himself did not always agree in one method of spelling his name, was descended from the great Wolfston Wilde, who came over with Hengist, and distinguished himself very eminently at that famous festival where the Britons were so treacherously murdered by the Saxons, for when the word was given, that is, Nemet Eor Saxes, take out your swords, this gentleman, being a little hard of hearing, mistook the sound for Nemet Her Sax, take out their purses. Instead, therefore, of applying to the throat, he immediately applied to the pocket of his guest, and contented himself with taking all that he had, without attempting his life. The next ancestor of our hero, who was remarkably eminent, was Wild, surnamed Langfanger, or Longfinger. He flourished in the reign of Henry III, and was strictly attached to Hubert de Burr, whose friendship he was recommended to do by his great excellence in an art of which Hubert himself was the inventor. He could, without the knowledge of the proprietor, with great ease and dexterity, draw forth a man's purse from any part of his garment where it was deposited, and hence he derived his surname. This gentleman was the first of his family who had the honour to suffer for the good of his country, on whom a wit of that time made the following epitaph. O oh, shame, O oh, justice, wild is hanged, for that and he a pocket fanged, while safe old Hubert and his gang doth pocket o'er the nation fang. Langfanger left a son named Edward, whom he had carefully instructed in the art for which he himself was so famous. This Edward had a grandson, who served as a volunteer under the famous Sir John Falstaff, and by his gallant demeanour so recommended himself to his captain that he would have certainly been promoted by him had Harry V kept his word with his old companion. After the death of Edward, the family remained in some obscurity down to the reign of Charles I, when James Wilde distinguished himself on both sides of the question in the civil wars, passing from one to t'other as heaven seemed to declare itself in favour of either party. At the end of the war, James not being rewarded according to his merits, as is usually the case of such impartial persons, he associated himself with the brave man of those times whose name was Hind, and declared open war with both parties. He was successful in several actions, and spoiled many of the enemy, till at length, being overpowered and taken, he was, contrary to the law of arms, put basely and cowardly to death by a combination between twelve men of the enemy's party, who, after some consultation, unanimously agreed on the said murder. This Edward took to wife, Rebecca, the daughter of the above-mentioned John Hind, Esquire, by whom he had issue John, Edward, Thomas, and Jonathan, and three daughters, namely Grace, Charity, and Honour. 
John followed the fortunes of his father, and, suffering with him, left no issue. Edward was so remarkable for his compassionate temper that he spent his life in soliciting the causes of the distressed captives in Newgate, and is reported to have held a strict friendship with an eminent divine who solicited the spiritual causes of the said captives. He married Editha, daughter and co-heiress of Geoffrey Snap, gent, who long enjoyed an office under the High Sheriff of London and Middlesex, by which, with great reputation, he acquired a handsome fortune. By her he had no issue. Thomas went very young abroad to one of our American colonies, and hath not been since heard of. As for daughters, Grace was married to a merchant of Yorkshire who dealt in horses. Charity took to husband an eminent gentleman whose name I cannot learn, but who was famous for so friendly a disposition that he was bail for above a hundred persons in one year. He had likewise the remarkable humour of walking in Westminster Hall with a straw in his shoe. Honour, the youngest, died unmarried. She lived many years in this town, was a great frequenter of plays, and used to be remarkable for distributing oranges to all who would accept of them. Jonathan married Elizabeth, daughter of Scrag Hollow of Hockley in the Hole, Esquire, and by her had Jonathan, who is the illustrious subject of these memoirs. Chapter 3 The Birth, Parentage, and Education of Mr. Jonathan Wilde, the Great It is observable that nature seldom produces anyone who is afterwards to act a notable part on the stage.